0: Welcome to a community of students, teachers, and preachers who are on a journey to teach the Bible in a manner that serves and builds the church of both today and tomorrow. Join us as we go behind the scenes to learn from established teachers whose unique stories will inspire you to take action to better prepare, better communicate, and better equip the church. This is the Better Bible Class Podcast. Wesley Walker, who's headquartered out of the, the Nashville, Tennessee area. And if you would, Wesley, go ahead and start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in, in ministry and ultimately what inspired you to take on this role of a teacher.
1: Yeah, so I guess my journey starts with my dad becoming a, a Christian whenever I was young. I was probably eight or nine. My folks didn't go to church when I was a uh, real little, but about eight or nine, I started going to church. And then... Uh, He became a Christian, and about a year or so later, I did, and I remembered a small country church that I was growing up at. I had lots of opportunities to, to lead singing, to uh, participate in Bible classes, to preach my first sermon at nine years old in front of an audience there. It was a, a great breeding ground. I know about 30 members and a great breeding ground and a place for young people, uh, anybody to really step in and use their gifts You know, right away whenever you were willing. They definitely had spots for you. So that was probably the beginning point. And then my dad went to Bear Valley in Denver, uh, and I was there for a couple of years in middle school. That probably began to kick my entrance in the Idea of preaching and teaching in that way. And then, you know, my senior year in high school, I was making some choices around pursuing a a career in law uh, and doing some pre law stuff versus going to Bear Valley myself and going into preaching school. At the time, I remember kind of faking through some of the teachings of Jesus and maybe not directly applicable, but the one in Luke where he talks about to whom much is given, much is required. That kind of led me down the path to say, I, I could live a a good Christian life as a lawyer, but I don't know if that's the best way to use the gifts and talents that God has given me. And that impacted me as a 17 year old to choose, you know, where I did. I ended up going to, to Bear Valley in Denver. And that's been my passion ever since. I can't think of a time since I became a Christian where I wasn't involved in regular teaching, whether it was teaching Bible classes, preaching on a regular basis whenever I was in high school in South Dakota, traveling out to churches that way. Even traveling overseas to work with teenagers and military youth, that's just always been something I've done. So there's never been a time in my life post being a Christian where I wasn't, in some way, shape, or form, consistently teaching. So I don't know if it was like an epiphany or just sort of uh, that upbringing when I was younger that, hey, if, if you have the ability and the gifts and you can do it, you, you should be doing it. So I guess that small country church experience kind of shaped me there that you know everybody has to step in and do something. That's been kind of my my push ever since then.
0: There are a lot of uh, benefits of smaller congregation, and especially as growing up, and, and you mentioned that that was one of the things that prompted you to go to Bear Valley. What? Why Bear Valley? Is that just because your
1: dad was there? You know, that, that's obviously part of it. My dad went there, but when my dad was there, there were some connections that were made that I think pushed me there. Two of the greatest influences in my life are missionaries in Guatemala, Hawatha Jones and Byron Benitez. Uh, Byron was my youth minister at, when I was at Bear Valley, uh, and Hawatha was a close friend of mine. I actually traveled overseas with them uh, as a seventh and eighth grader all the way through um, I went through my time at Bear Valley itself with, with those two. So those connections there, along with knowing uh, Denny Petrillo and Bill Stewart and some other instructors, I think made it a natural choice and fit for me. Just sort of the comfort level I had there and my dad being there, I think so is what led me to Bear Valley initially.
0: You mentioned that you've bounced around quite a bit. Where are you now and what is your work centered around?
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm in Nashville now. So when I was younger, it's funny, my, my parents and my grandparents and all of my relatives lived in a small town in West Tennessee. And then my dad moved to Denver and then from Denver to South Dakota. So I was sort of spent my junior high and high school years there. And I moved back to Denver, moved out to California for a few years, preached there. And I've actually been in the same congregation now in Nashville. I believe for 10 or 12 years, all, all the years run together at this point. They've so been in Nashville at the Woodson Chapel Church here for about 10 to 12 years. Started out doing youth ministry work and going to to Freed Hardeman for my MDiv, and then when I graduated from Freed Hardeman, it was time to get back into to preaching, which is my my passion, and working with uh, kind of adults. and In that case, Woodson had an opening at that point, and I went through the process, preached for you know six months to make a decision. And ultimately, we ended up I ended up working it out to where I stayed at Woodson and been preaching here ever since.
0: What would you see the differences are between your youth ministry versus your, your pulpit ministry, where your class is more adults?
1: That's a good question. Uh, some of it is a, a matter of content, of trying to figure out the needs that you might have with somebody who is uh, middle school, high school, and what they're going through. So there's a content difference for sure, where you have a difference between what an adult's going through versus what a middle and high school student's going through. There's a difference to some degree in. Uh, maturity, so an an idea of what they can and cannot handle. I will say this, my Bible classes as a youth minister, I try not to water them down. Uh, My viewpoint was these These teenagers are in classes in school that are difficult. Uh, They're taking difficult classes. They're taking tests. They're doing advanced studies. Uh, They can handle good Bible study as well. And now my application might be different than it is for an adult. I thought the actual meat and potatoes of a Bible class should not be watered down simply because I'm speaking to uh, you know teenagers. Because I think I think they're getting challenged in school. We should be challenging them in Bible class as well and teaching them good Bible study habits. Uh, beyond just their teenage years and, and as they become adults as well. So that's probably the difference I think is more application and more of trying to meet their needs where they're at. But in terms of Bible study, I think they need the same depth that any adult needs and they can handle that more so than we give them credit, I think.
0: I agree with your thought process, and that's what one thing that I learned from a mentor in my time in Colorado. I have found it true in, in my experiences. When we set the bar high for our, our youth, they will reach that bar. And if we just focus on the, the lowest common denominator, we end up diluting everything down. And when we don't challenge our students, and I think it's whether it's teens and youth or elementary school kids or even adults. When we don't challenge them, we don't spur that growth on.
1: Yeah, I think you're 100% correct. Even thinking about an education system outside of the church, anytime you're in an educational setting where you're bored... Uh, it's it's never something that's going to build you up in any way, and so in terms of boredom, not just boredom the idea, maybe the the content appears boring to you, but you're not being challenged to grow. Uh, I think it it, it leads to a, a greater depth of boredom and a, a greater depth in which there's not that engagement there. And again, if we don't get Bible study for teenagers uh, into the realm of some depth there. They never leave sort of the the VBS children's classes applications. And those don't really help a lot when you get into the real world uh, of life uh, and the life that they're facing day in and day out at their schools and interacting with their peers. They need some meat uh, to kind of deal with the real, real avenues of life there and not just uh, you know, basic things that sometimes I think they can handle and they can handle a whole lot more.
0: I agree that when we're not challenging ourselves, we kind of fall back into this period of complacency. What do you do to continue to challenge yourself and push yourself to grow so that you can then in turn push your students to grow?
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm I'm very much a goal setter. That's one of the things that I have always been. I have, I have big goals in all areas of my life and I, I write those down and try to be disciplined and making sure that I achieve them. So for me in Bible study, it could be uh, making sure I'm always digging deeper in a particular book or a particular topic that spans you know, several books in, within theology. So for me, it's, it's like having those challenges of, of what I want to dig deeper. What do I want to know more? How, how do you study? In terms of the process there, I, I believe you have to begin with a, a wealth of knowledge within books of the Bible. So if I were to go back and and rewind 15 years ago, it would be a lot of time spent in books of the Bible. My degree is in in biblical languages, so a lot of time spent in the ancient languages it was written in, translation work, that sort of stuff there, just to make sure I have a good feel for it. And there's a lot of time spent in in that aspect of it. Fast forward to today, uh, there's still a lot of time spent in books of the Bible, uh, but now it's more of looking at, is there a topic I I need to know more of? And there's our book of the Bible I want to have a deeper study of. So like right now I might be in, I'm in the book of 1 Peter. Uh, it makes sense in the world that we live in. Uh, that, that's a book that I think has some application that can help out. Uh, it makes sense the fact that I did a series in Oklahoma a few weeks ago on the topic and have a Bible class coming up on it. So it makes sense that way as well. Uh, so I try to choose it by what do I think fits what's going on in our world today, but also kind of what do I need uh, and what would help me. And uh, maybe selfishly, I assume that if it helps me, it probably can help somebody else as well. And the more passionate I am about a subject, the better I am at presenting it uh, versus if it's something I don't really care a lot about for. So I guess for me, it's kind of systematically studying through uh, books of the Bible that sometimes bring up certain topics I want to delve deeper into and kind of chasing those rabbit holes in a in a good way there.
0: Degree in biblical language is, is kind of uh, intimidating. Uh, and <laughs> I imagine it is to, to other people who don't have a formal education, maybe just grew up in the church or was just introduced to it. How do you condense down the information and the knowledge that you have to, to pull application and encourage us to make the application?
1: Yeah, so my my thought is good exegesis, whether that's, from the original language you're starting at, or it's from a good English translation or using numerous translations. Good Bible study or, or exegesis use the fancier word. A lot of times delves down into finding themes and patterns uh, to where the author of a book is hammering the same subject over and over and over again. Uh, the Bible, I think, is, I always joke sometimes that the Bible is written for dummies. Not in the it's easy always to understand, but in the sense of The author repeats himself a lot on purpose so you don't miss the key points. That helps a ton in application. So if I can go through I'm studying through the book of Romans or 1 Peter or any of the books of the Bible and I'm seeing a repetition of the same key word or the same key theme or the same key idea over and over again, at that point I know this book is trying to teach me something on this subject. And I mean, it makes application a whole lot easier. So take first Peter, for instance, you're jumping through a book that emphasizes their struggle with suffering, with all of the key idea being at the end of, the, of chapter five of them still being in God's grace. And you find this theme of Peter reassuring them that they're in God's grace, despite their suffering over and over again, just keep popping up in that book. What I mean, that has natural application to a real world, real, real world circumstance, whether it's uh, something we all have in common, like we're all struggling through current circumstances in our world today, or it might be a personal thing you're dealing with. We all experience suffering, and suffering oftentimes leads us uh, to doubt where we stand with God. And I think that just makes a natural application there. But it's driven from Bible study because I took the time to read the book over and over again, to follow those key themes. And then once you've done that, you see five or six you know, key themes that all relate to one overarching theme and that makes some great application in Bible class because it's repeating itself. And normally you'll find that what Peter is writing to or Paul or Matthew or Mark or one of the prophets of old is going to apply to stuff today as well. So to me, it's, it's driven with, with good Bible study and finding and following those key themes, which leads to practical application. I, I think sometimes we, we separate this idea of Bible study and application falsely. Good Bible study leads us to finding these good points which leads us to what I call authoritative application—not application we forced on a text, but application that comes from a text, and therefore, is in my mind, is is better application, and more meaningful application, and inspired application to some degree, uh, being led by the Spirit of God to those points. And then you're able to make, I think, stronger points because you have the backing of the Word of God behind you there, versus sort of starting the horse with, here's the application, let's find some verses, letting the text build that. I think it does a better job of, of driving that and leading to application that leads to true transformation through God's Word.
0: How do you maintain the discipline to not go into it and try to force the
1: application? Yeah, I think everybody assumes that they only preach the Bible or teach the Bible. So I don't want to arrogantly come off as I'm I'm perfect in this. I get very frustrated whenever I hear messages that might sound good, or even Bible classes that are good rhetoric or good good oration in some way, but just aren't doing with the text. It just naturally frustrates me. And so I don't want to do that either. Now, I'm sure I do. And I'm sure other people would hear some of my application and say, you missed it. To me, you're missing your point your point and your authority if you're not sticking with the text. So I'm, I'm very cautious to make any application that I cannot back up from the text. So I will be somebody who's going to be general in some of my application because I can't be too specific with the text not. Now somebody's just not going to give an answer that says, here's what the Bible says on a subject, and I think the Bible hasn't spoken on it. That's frustrating sometimes because we want answers to every everything of life's minutiae. Uh, but for me, I'd rather say, you know what? There's no text on this. There's no instruction. God has given us some freedom. Uh, use your best judgment. I won't judge you about it. Don't judge me about it because there's no text to back it up. Versus making an application and forcing my way in there. Now I'm not perfect at it. I don't want to be arrogant about it, but I try to make sure that if I'm going to say you need to do this or this is what God wants you to do, I can actually back that up. And if I can't, I'd rather just leave a text unapplied uh, than applying it incorrectly. So to me, it's a, it's a discipline that has you know come from my own Bible study, but also probably some good instructors uh, who would push me to what does the text say, where does it lead, and not go beyond. Yeah, what's in there.
0: Is that who you attempt to emulate some of these instructors, men that you had a mentorship through? In
1: terms of maybe a Bible study, I think Denny Petrillo uh, was key to some of the exegesis and introducing good Bible study there. And then Dan Owen, uh, who's out of Paducah, Kentucky, who uh, used to sneak into his master's classes after school at Bear Valley when he was teaching and just getting the depth there as well. Uh, And Dan was very big on what does the text say. That was kind of his push there. Uh, If you've ever interacted with Dan, he's also uh, blunt at times if you don't uh, follow the text. So I used to kind of laugh in the back when a student would raise their hand and Ask a question or make application that had nothing to do with the text at all because I knew Dan would be lovingly blunt uh, to <laughs> to put it politely about hey we need to stick with the text here so that sort of hammered all, home to me was was Dan and Denny and that and then uh, there was a cohort of us at Bear Valley uh, including Cliff Sabro I think you've had on the podcast before uh, who who kind of disciplined one another and kind of made sure that. Hey, we're going to be honest with the text wherever it leads and whatever it might cost us. That, that's going to be our goal. And, uh, you know, that those have been friendships that have bolstered that throughout the years. And now I've got people that I, I look up to, still at the Bear Valley Connection, like a uh, uh, Mike Hyde, who's a teacher there. Him and I text back and forth and, and work through Bible classes and, and stuff like that together. And that's kind of weird. I'm not, you know, I'm 35 now, but I've got some younger ministers who... Uh, will ask me Bible questions that help me sort of stay on my toes to make sure I'm answering them accurately. So just trying to also mentor another generation behind me with with good Bible study habits keeps me honest there because, you know, every now and then some of these folks will say, hey, you said this or uh, the text says this and it feels like we do this thing, and that sort of always forces me to challenge my preconceptions and my ideas and make sure I can defend them. This peer group that you have,
0: elaborate a little bit more on this iron sharpens iron mentality. How do you maintain those mentoring relationships, even though you're spread out?
1: There's a lot of text messaging that goes along, obviously, phone calls. um, There's some travel. I get to see them at periodic at different events where I'm speaking uh, at different places that go into that. But there's a lot of text of Hey, I'm looking at this particular passage. What do you think it means? Or did you see this theme that was found here and kind of going back and forth? And uh, you know, guys like Cliff and I, you know, Cliff and I naturally like to be argumentative, so that helps out too where you can stop and sort of argue back and forth over a topic. And that helps to have somebody you know is not going to be upset about it, that they're, you know, you have a friendship to where you can sort of say the text doesn't say that it's not going to be, you know, not going to offend them. Uh, Same with Michael Hyde at Bear Valley. We can joke back and forth about, hey, I think you're completely wrong on this. And uh, I think with with Denny and Dan, they're mentors at the same time. They're going to give pushback and they accept feedback. So I think that helps out having people in your life that, if you can say, "Hey, I think you're wrong on this, and let's talk about it," or even saying, "Hey, I think I might believe this now." I just throw out an idea and not have to worry about they're going to write you off as you're kind of working through and formulating uh, new understandings from the study of Scripture. There, so that's that's been huge. Just having you know three or four close people that I can uh, run Scripture by and 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 run ideas by, and they can do the same for me. You were
0: introduced to a lot of these relationships through your formal training. How would you encourage someone who doesn't have the opportunity or won't have the opportunity to get to preaching school to develop some of these mentor relationships?
1: I work a another job in sales as well, and there's a backstory to that that public podcast is not uh, meant for. So when I got into sales, I had to reach out to folks who were already in sales. So I found people in the congregation that were successful sales people, and I reached out to them and just asked them questions and Now I have continual text back and forth when I got in more of a corporate environment for my work, uh, there were some challenges there, and just sort of navigating that, I found men who had been successful, and I made sure I reached out to them. So let's say you're in an environment to where you, you didn't go to school, so you don't have the connection of maybe teachers in school or some classmates that you're friends with. I think most folks are willing to be to help out and and, and willing to study with them. It's a matter of building those relationships uh, and finding people you know like that that are willing to to take the time to learn. I think sometimes we assume somebody's too busy or uh, they're going to think my questions are dumb or whatever it might be. Whenever most of us. Uh, are passionate about Bible study and good Bible study. And we love the opportunities to challenge other people to it uh, and to expand that circle of influence that we have uh, to help others. So I think with any mentoring, it's a matter of of taking that that first step of just asking. And I found most people are more than willing to come in and give you you know everything that they have in a matter of seconds. So about a year ago, my wife and I are looking at buying a, a rental property. And um, there's a guy at church who I knew him and his wife had several. So I just emailed him and said, hey, we're looking at buying a rental. Any advice? And what was neat is that this guy who's successful spent the time to walk me through every sort of detail. His wife made a list like two pages long of everything to look for in a property. They sent me over the lease agreements that they use, the way that they charge their tenants, how they collect all of that simply because kind I of simply said, hey, could you help me here? It kind of opened my eyes the fact that most people are willing to help. Now They want to help out in some way. They like people who are eager to learn about something that they're good at. And so if you find good Bible teachers, most of them are going to be willing to say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you my secrets as best as I can, or I'll help you out in some way. So I think just being willing to say... Hey, I'd like to learn more. It's very important in these in these conversations.
0: I have experienced that. Michael Height came out to uh, one of our youth forums here last year, and so I was able to just sit down and have a simple meal with him, and then got his phone number and we texted on some live stream questions. But here uh, a few weeks ago, I was struggling to find all the the keywords through the Book of Jude, and so I just sent him a simple text that turned into a twenty minute conversation on a Saturday morning, and he walked me through the old school way. And the way that I was doing it was all right, but then he pulled up his logos. So and had what I was looking for in 30 seconds.
1: It's funny, the logos, I got that with Michael Hyatt before as well, where I'm away somewhere, traveling to speak somewhere, and all of a sudden they've changed topics on me and they say, hey, do you mind addressing this? And it's in a book of the Bible that that maybe I hadn't studied up in a while or I haven't, uh, didn't have my Bible, I had the keywords marked, I've, I've emailed him before, texted him and said, hey, can you want a keyword search for me in X book? And then, you know, within 10 minutes, he sends it over to me and I'm ready to go with, you know, with my canvas there to begin my study on it. So he's a great resource for stuff like that, for sure.
0: Yeah, you found a lot of truths that when anybody, whether it's in the biblical field or even outside, if someone shows the desire to learn and the eagerness to learn, people will just open up and share everything that they've been through and every mistake they've made and everything they wish they could go back and have done better.
1: One of the things in conversation you learn, people like to talk about themselves uh, and so if you're ever struggling with, okay, I'm not feeling like I'm able to connect with this person, just ask about themselves. And most people love to talk about what they do and the things that they enjoy. And I think that's true with things we're good at. People want to talk about what they're good at and how they how they are able to get to that point. So just find people that are good at it and, and be willing to ask questions. And you'll find some just don't give you the time of day, but there's enough that will that it's worth your effort to, to whittle through that and find you a core of you know, three or four people you can really have these good conversations
0: with. I want to kind of take a little bit of a tangent off of that. How do you go about building the relationship with the members of your classes?
1: I think a lot of relationship building c- comes outside of class. And that doesn't matter what age group you're dealing with, whether it's young children or it's teenagers or it's adults. The more they can see you outside of a classroom environment, the more life stuff you can, you can spend with them, uh, the greater connection you have in Bible class or preaching or anything of that nature. You know, our kids love their Bible class teachers at Woodson. They are great teachers in the classroom. We have some fantastic teachers. We have a fantastic program that we use, but they also love the fact that we have teachers who send them cards on their birthdays and cards when it's not their birthday, who come to their, their baseball games or softball games, who interact in their life, who have us into their home. All of that, it sort of builds on the fact that once my kids go to their class, they're excited about it because they know the teacher, and not just a good teacher, but as a good person and a good mentor there. The same is true for teaching and preaching. Uh, the longer you're at some place, longer you get to know people, uh, the better you are at it because you can connect it to their lives a lot easier. And they are more willing to open up with you to get into things that are maybe off limits if you didn't really know them that well. And so uh, just sp- taking the time and effort to get to know people outside of a classroom is so important. And that means sometimes a little extra effort on the part of teachers. Maybe it's uh, we're going to have a quarterly uh, meeting at our house, a cookout. Maybe it's uh, we're going to invite the guys in the class over to watch the game or the we have the families over in our class for you know whatever it might be. Those things are important as part of just a building of relationships relationships uh, there. So I think you, you've got to do some work outside of the class, which really, I think, you know, good Bible study, we sometimes just think it's a matter of transferring knowledge from one person to another, but we don't learn that way. Uh, we also want to see somebody's life and how they live and have that connection. And even the biblical examples are that way, whether it's Jesus, uh, who's obviously the life he lived in front of the apostles was huge, or it's Paul, who consistently in his writing will say things like, you saw how I lived. I think showing us that teaching is more than just what you might do for 30 minutes on a Sunday. Teaching is sort of the life that you live, and the more you're intertwining your life with the life of your students, uh, the better teacher you'll be, the better connection and relationship you have, the more likely you're to get that text message when something important comes, when they have to make a big decision, when they need some spiritual advice. The greater that relationship is, the more likely you are to get that text, or that call to say, Hey, can you help me here? And I think that's where we want to be as teachers—not just, hey, I, I know what this book says. Let me tell you about it. But I'm here to help you in life to become more like Jesus, and that means building the relationships—not just in class, but outside of classes.
0: Wow, that is a a huge challenge, and I think it's one that we can live up to if we are students of the Word and committed to it, because I think there's nothing more rewarding. Then getting those text messages and when someone's asking those questions, even if it's someone you haven't talked to for six seven years,
1: yeah, I think that's important. Like you, you have those relationships you build, uh, and the trust they have from both inside and outside of classes is so important. And oftentimes missed uh, in some of our Bible study, especially for folks like for folks like me who are academically inclined and enjoy kind of the minutia of Bible study and showing them this and that. I can miss sometimes the value of relationships and how it makes it easier to make those connections and applications if you build the relationships while you're also leading somebody into a deeper knowledge of of the scriptures and and Jesus. Uh,
0: So what would you say has been the absolute best class that you've ever been a part of?
1: Oh, man, it's a good question. So there's a a couple ways to answer that. Probably the, the best class would have been the Gospel of Matthew at Bear Valley, only because it was my first quarter there and my first introduction to exegetical or thematic study. So that was probably the most influential. And then setting through a session of Dan Owen's Romans class, very similar that way in terms of uh, the depth there, and just a new way of studying and focusing on the text that became very important. And then probably 1st and 2nd Thessalonians at Bear Valley, which wasn't necessarily taught in a very exegetical manner, but I just finished up Greek. And that class allowed me to use some of my Greek skills and exegesis. And I spent a lot of time in that class, uh, not really paying attention to the teacher as much as translating and following key themes and key ideas. So it it was a class in which I personally was using skill sets that I'd learned previously to apply it to this particular class, even it wasn't even if it wasn't modeled in the classroom, uh, it was still allowing me to uh, to go in there and and study and and, and dig a little deeper there. Uh, personally, for my own study, probably uh, I did a series at at Tahoe Family Encampment on the Gospel accounts as portraits of Jesus that I'm going to eventually probably make into a book. But that was a beneficial study for me. To, to kind of reiterate Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John standing on their own sort of two feet and kind of walk through the differences there. But for me, it's, it was probably those early Matthew Romans classes to where I was being introduced to, to better Bible study habits that got me there. And truth be told, once you get out of school and you're preaching every week, you don't get to set into a lot of classes after that. So uh, there's not really any prolonged where I can say I've been to any 13-week you know, classes anymore because I'm teaching at that time.
0: You mentioned your 1st and 2nd Thessalonians class that you were able to utilize and use and test and grow the skills that, that you had been learning. And so as we look at our home class, our home congregations, how can we push our students, whether they're youth or adults, to test themselves and, and develop their own skills uh, with their own personal Bible studies.
1: For sure. I think you have to model that in your Bible study. Uh, and I think you have to be willing to show them, here's how I came to this conclusion and kind of show them what, what you did there and even maybe lead them to that conclusion through good questioning or a good sort of building of case there to make sure that they're able to see where where you got there. Other stuff you can do is, is maybe some, you know, Depending on the class size the interactions, there can be stuff you do to where, hey, before you come in, I have read this chapter, or read this idea, or here's the four questions we're going to address next week. Some of that can be done, but it's modeling, I think, and then giving them some practical, simple things that they can do to continue that study. So whether it might be in a Bible class saying, we don't have time to look at this, but I would challenge you to look at this word and the Book of First John and maybe even a handout that says, "Here's how it's used, and give them that chance to go do some study on their own and then you'll know, push from there. Those are some ideas that you might have to kind of help them to, to do that for themselves in Bible study at home. If
0: you could plan the last class that you ever teach, what would it entail
1: if I could plan the last class ever? Well, wow, that's, a, that's a challenge. I think if, I'd have preached, if I had a chance to teach one class. It would probably be a class out of the Gospel of John, and it would probably have to do with the nature of Jesus, and I would choose my text based upon my audience. So is this an audience of individuals who have been going to church for 30 years and need to be reminded of some things, or is it an audience of people who, uh, who don't know who Jesus is and need to start there? I think John works good for either one of those audiences. So I think I would say the Gospel of John, and then I would let the audience drive what section I would teach through. I think that's important for any Bible study. Yes, we're teaching books of the Bible, but we're teaching books of the Bible to people. And sometimes we forget that. So I think audience would drive that last class ever, uh, more so than anything. I don't want to see who I'm speaking to and then I think the Gospel of John would, would meet any, any audience I was speaking to. I think the Gospel of John would have something I'd want to share about, you know, this, this, this person, Jesus, and showing them who he is. Where I think would be the most important Bible study I could do to, to end my life.
0: And so how do you get the feedback from your audience to determine which direction you, you need to drive them?
1: That, that's work, again, it's done outside of a classroom. It's just sort of knowing the audience, uh, knowing human nature. Following up on what you're seeing out there, uh, one of the I guess pluses and minuses of things like social media is you get to see uh, what you're, what people are posting, what they're thinking about. The more you're in their life, the more you might have text message conversations, or phone calls that let you know what's going on in their life. And just the more you're aware of just what's happening around you, I think those drive uh, application. You know, for being at Watson for a good period of time, I I know going into a class what that class, who that class is made up of, and to some degree, what their needs are. And I think that's helpful in, in knowing that uh, that way. But I tell people, if you're just going to teach a teenage class, take a few minutes just to do a Google search on kind of thoughts and ideas of teens today. So you have an idea of at least some idea of what you're going into. Now, don't, don't take that search and then try to act like you're hip and cool, but I uh, mean, whatever cool word they use today to describe people who are hip and cool, but at least know what stuff they're doing and what's going on in, that, in their lives. And that way you can make better application uh, to them.
0: Awesome. And, and I do, again, appreciate your time. Uh, if you would leave us with one challenge or something that we can do so that we can teach better Bible classes. Yeah, I would
1: say read books. And not like, what I mean by that is Bible study oftentimes today is people find a verse They write about the verse. They are touched by a verse. I wish you would stop with the verse-centric sort of view of Bible study and go back to reading whole books of the Bible. So spend your time reading through a book of the Bible over and over and over again. And that's going to improve your Bible study. You're going to find key themes and key ideas. So I push people. Remember, these were books. These were letters written to people meant to be read as a book or a letter. And it's foolish the way we sort of jump around and we say, I'm going to look at this verse and that verse, because no one would get a novel and say, let me flip through this and I'm going to read page 45 and I'm going to read page 67 and I'm going to read page 200. We would say, you're crazy. But well, when it comes to Bible study, that's exactly what we do. So I challenge people to, if you want to read the Bible, start with a book and read it. Spend a month reading through the gospel, the book of James over and over and over again, and that's going to greatly improve your Bible study. It's going to let the Word of God do, sort of seep in your heart. You know, the Gospel of Mark has a parable that talks about how a, a farmer went out and sowed some seed, went into his house, and the seed grew all by itself. Well, I believe the Word of God can do that. So spend time reading books of the Bible. That's going to make you a better Christian. It's going to shape your life through the Word of the Spirit. It's going to make you a better Bible student. So that would be my challenge uh, is, is go back to what these, these letters and books were intended to be done. And that is reading them like you would any other letter or, or, or book you would receive in the mail.
0: Thank you for joining us on our journey to build the church of both today and tomorrow through Better Bible Class. As you work on bettering your Bible classes, please share with us what successes you've had or what challenges you've had to overcome at betterbibleclass.com. And if you have found value in today's episode, please subscribe and share it with one person right now via text or email. Again, send your questions and comments to us at betterbibleclass.com and continue to join us on our mission to strengthen the church of both today and tomorrow by teaching a better Bible class.